The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. My name is Kat Yoakum, and I'm the RUF intern at Belmont University. The scripture reading for today is from Colossians 2, 6-7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted up and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. My name is Britton Wood. I'm the area coordinator for RUF over Alabama and Tennessee. Before that, I served RUF at Stanford University out in California and uh, South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, it's awesome to have a chance to share with you all about RUF. As Kami said, this church has partnered with us uh, generously in reaching the college campus. And actually, CPC gave their first gift to RUF in May of 1989. And since then, this church has given over $750,000 to RUF. And that's just the church's mission budget. When you also add to that the individual giving of the members here, it's well over double that. So we've been partners for a long time and I'm excited to share with you about the heart of RUF. And uh, as Richie and Kevin, the preachers at the other sites, as we sat around and talked about how can we share the the heart of RUF uh, with you and the essence of RUF, we thought there was no better place to start than in Paul's letter to Colossians. But I'm not going to tell you what the essence of RUF is yet. We're going to get to that later. Before we begin, pray with me, and we'll begin to explore Paul's letter. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, This is the day that you have given us. This is the first day of our week, and yet you call us into rest. We didn't start with anxiety. We started with meeting you. And we meet you in your word now when you ask you to come and be with us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and do work in our hearts and that you would teach us we're helpless without you. Be with us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Before we talk about RUF, this is what I wanna do. I wanna invite you to kind of uh, audit your last week. I want you to right now to bring up everything you had to do last week and all your plans you had about the kind of person you wanted to be last week. So you had the logistics, Right, you had to get things done at work. You needed to talk to the yard man. You needed to get the electrician over to the house. Right, you wanted to get to the gym more. Uh, you wanted to reach out and reconnect with some certain people throughout the week. You had some relationships that were tense that you were decided you were either going to run away from or you were going to kind of engage. You also had work responsibilities. So bring all those to mind, but also bring to mind all of the ways that you were going to try to be the better version of you last week. Right, because what's going to happen is we're going to go to bed tonight or wake up tomorrow morning with this vision of the better me that I wasn't last week, but tomorrow I'm gonna wake up early and read my Bible and pray. I'm gonna pray at the end of the night. I'm gonna try to pray with my kids. Uh, I'm gonna try to be kind of less consumed by the anxieties that always get me. But right, that's how our weeks go. Maybe it's months for you, maybe it's days for you. And I I want you, you should always bring all of that into worship and into scripture and into prayer and any place where you meet Jesus. Um, But what happens, right, is when we start auditing those things, it dawns on us and it gets really anxious because life is so complex. 
And what Paul does in this letter is something really, really frustrating, right? Because think about the complexity of all the stuff that you're juggling and all the you that you're trying to be and can't be in all the different ways. And it's really frustrating when someone says, hey, you know, the answer is both clear and simple because nothing feels clear and simple. So Paul's frustrating that way. And while he addresses Christians in this letter, he also, what he has to say is no less relevant for the skeptic. He doesn't offer something different to the Christians and to the non-Christian. He has one thing to say. The answer is both clear and simple, but here's how we're gonna get to the answer. What we're gonna do is we're gonna begin by going back further than just this past week, but we're gonna go back further. I want each of you to do it. We're gonna do this together to go back to the first time you met Jesus. Bring that to mind. The church in Colossae is struggling with how to figure out life as a Christian, the complexity of life. Teachers had come in and given them a lot of pro tips and a lot of good plans and a lot of directions to manage the complex life of being a Christian. And Paul gets upset and he says to the Christians, he says, stop, stop, you're losing your way. Go back. Remember how you received Christ because that's how you're gonna figure things out. That's how you're gonna walk in him. So what we've gotta do is we've actually gotta talk about what it looked like when you received Christ. And in this room, if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure, that's okay. What we're gonna do for the few minutes is the rest of us are gonna remember the time that we met Jesus. We're gonna collectively go back and remember how we received him. And if you haven't received him yet, you're welcome to look in on us remembering our journey and maybe it gives you a roadmap to receive him. So Christians, let's remember how we received him. And I mean it, everyone, although our stories are different, there's some common themes, right? There's some broad themes we all share. How did you meet Jesus? Here's what happened first. You were either always aware or you became aware at some point that a God exists, that a creator exists. Maybe you always knew. Maybe you became aware at some point because things like beauty or love or guilt or injustice or death or anger or hope, you realize you can't make sense of those things without a creator. One of our students at Stanford, my first year there, she came looking for RUF because she went to a molecular biology lecture and said, I can't make sense of the beauty there without knowing there's a creator. So she came to RUF and she met Jesus. But you knew that he is, and so you also knew that if he is, that the main question you have to ask in all of life is what do he and I have to do with each one another? So you were aware of God on some level, and then another thing happened to you, another realization. At some point, you reached a level of desperation you couldn't manage. And it was either in one of two areas, if not both areas, either A, it was about the guilt of sin or insecurity, or B, it was about powerlessness in the face of the hardest things in life, right? So you realize that no matter how good you could appear to be moral, uh, no matter how good you could appear to anyone else, at some point you knew who you were, you knew you weren't clean, you struggled with your selfish vices, and when you struggled with your selfish vices, you just found more selfishness there. There was guilt, you became aware of this thing called sin, maybe you didn't like that word at first because it was too religious, but you had no answer for the knowledge that you knew you weren't right and you couldn't make yourself right because when your hands are dirty, you can't clean yourself off. 
So it's either the guilt of sin overwhelmed you, you couldn't fix yourself, or you experienced powerlessness and desperation in the face of injustice or death or something so serious in this world that you realize no matter how much power and how much competence and strength I have, that everything you gather around yourself, death will take it from you and you don't have an answer for it. One friend of mine came to Christ when he realized that no matter how much power he amassed, he couldn't protect the people that he loved. There's, there are a lot of different stories and there are a lot of different paths to that place of desperation, but that's what happened to us next. You became aware of the brokenness in the world and you knew this, the brokenness in the world got there because it originated in me and I brought it and I can't get rid of it. And that desperation caused you to cry out for a savior. You finally looked outside of yourself. And then, this is the next moment, whether it was at church or at Young Life or at Jade Ranch or just reading your Bible alone or just crying in your car listening to a podcast or just talking to a friend or a youth group, you cried out and the good news of Jesus came through. Maybe it was a specific moment for you. Maybe it was a process or a season and you didn't even know it was happening until it was over. But you knew this, that you were powerless against sin and death. The word of Christ came the story of the cross crashed into your heart and you came alive. I remember that night at father-son adventure at JH Ranch when I knew Jesus was real. I remember sitting with my RUF campus minister in April of 2001 as a senior at Vanderbilt when the cross broke me in the sweetest possible way. And that moment for you or that season for you, you realize Jesus has made a way for me and it's all of grace. And he loved you even though it cost him everything. He was alive and Jesus alone was your only hope. And grace reigned and you know that he had paid the price for your sin and you were free now. That's what it felt like, remember? Not because you're good, but because he's good. You're completely free from all the condemnation, from everything you had done and do and will do. And Lord willing, at some point it dawned on you that sin's great power, which is death, has also been conquered. The tomb was empty. Jesus paid the price for your sin and he conquered sin's great power, death. And now in him, by faith, guilt reigned no more. Fear reigned no more and you were alive. Remember that? Because you met Jesus and it was good news. And like verse seven, you remembered abounding in thanksgiving. And who were you in that season? Let's talk about that for a moment. Remember that season, who were you? What did it feel like? Do you remember? This is how you felt, you were free. And freedom has, no, the concept and the experience of freedom has nothing to do with rules, whether or not you have rules. Freedom, if you've ever truly experienced it, freedom has to do with the absence of the nagging sense of guilt and condemnation and insecurity. Freedom has to do with the absence of fear. That's freedom. You lived in freedom in that moment. Here's what it looked like. You loved reading the Bible because it was sweet. You went to it just to meet Jesus. 
You never thought to yourself, I really need to read my Bible. You never thought that. You went to it like it was living water, right? You prayed a lot because your heart was just oriented toward him. You, you, you maybe even did something really weird and talked about Jesus. You used his name. You talked about him in a way that made it sound like y'all were friends and it was natural and it was never forced. You freely talked about Jesus without ever trying to the same way that I talk about CPA girls soccer. I have four girls that play soccer at CPA. Please don't ask me about it later because I don't care where you are in your life. I will talk to you for the next 20 minutes about inviting CPA soccer into your heart as your Lord and Savior. It was just easy. Here's the other thing that happened. You saw everybody differently. Without noticing it, the lens by which you evaluated everybody all the time, just very naturally, that lens just fell away. You didn't see important and unimportant people. Right? Isn't that how we see people? You didn't see good people and bad people. You didn't even notice that Jesus had caused you to be fair-minded and compassionate and less judgmental of the people that you normally dismiss because they aren't of your class or your tribe or the people that you despise because they didn't meet a moral standard. You were free in the sense that all the old things that kind of tyrannize your anxieties all the time, they just felt muted. You probably looked in the mirror a little bit less. You probably actually gave a little bit more foolishly, you ate a little less healthy, you probably had some more carbs because you just weren't as anxious. You went to the gym a little bit less. You were a little bit more of yourself, actually. You weren't constantly changing your personality, trying to figure out who everyone expected and wanted you to be so that they'd like you. You sang Christian music. It's crazy, right? You lived in resurrection hope. You were resilient. You actually found it easy to be kind. You were patient. You actually forgave people, really frustrating people. And all of this was your heart's response to hearing the good news and none of it felt like a burden. In a way, without knowing it, you experienced what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew, take my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following Jesus was a light burden. Do you remember that? You're filled up with love. Not just the abstract idea of love, but the real world demonstration of love that justice was satisfied at the cross, that death was defeated at the tomb. And if sin and death are defeated, there's nothing left to fear. Do you remember how you received Christ? That desperation of sin and death led us to Jesus. You fell into his mercy and grace and his promises because you realized he was our only hope and it was good and it was grace and it was him and we sang and then we messed it up, right? Because that's not where we are right now. That was a while ago. So what happened? Where did we go wrong? Here's what happened to us. Man, that season was sweet. But then I ran into me again. You ran into you again. The old you, the old me, the old fears, the old habits, the old lies, they came back, right? You found yourself angry. You're like, I wasn't gonna be angry anymore. You found yourself nursing that bitterness, clicking on that website. The pettiness came back. You were disengaged from your family, 
the judgmentalness, it all kind of, it, it, it bubbled up again, right? You got sucked back into the temptations and the insecurities of our beauty cult, of our social cliquishness of the place we live. Maybe it was just, you just kind of slowly ease back into the unchallenged habits of just our consumerist, overparenting, youth sports, vacation-driven American upper-middle-class culture. It just started dictating our lives again. We were free for that for a little bit, remember? And when those things came back, you had some resilience, right? To speak the good news back to the lies that no, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, I know it. You knew that and you kept trying to tell yourself, but then after a while, old habits, they settled in, they showed up again. Some of them got worse. And, and you're supposed to be a Christian now. So what did you do? Well, you do what we all feel like we're supposed to do. Okay, I've got to double down on the Christian things that I'm supposed to be doing. A couple of weeks ago, our campus minister at UAB, Adam, who's here this morning, we're talking about the students and he said, when I ask my students, how can I pray for them? They always, all of them give me the same answer. They all say, I need to read my Bible more. That's the answer. That's how we start to think. I'm not who I should have been, so my plan is to go do the good things, double down, focus more on not doing the bad things, and it kind of works, right? But then the bad me shows up again. And then after a while, it's okay, this week, but this week, this time, I'm, I'm gonna set my alarm. Fresh start, I'm gonna be the better me. Here's what happens over time, over years, if not over decades. You end up taking one of two paths. The first one is you just become a shell of a Christian. There's little life there. There's no vibrancy. Remember when you were alive in Jesus? There's no vibrant, none of that's there anymore. But because we live in the Christian South, it's actually easier to fake it than to quit. So go through the motions of being a Christian, right? But there's two of you, the ones that are going through the motions and looks like a Christian and the one that there's like nothing alive in here. And it's just easier to go through the motions than quit. So you're this new you that's really two of you, the one that doesn't care. There's nothing alive. And then the fake you that's still coming to church and appeasing the social expectations. So that's one path. Here's the other path. The other path is we become insufferable Christians. Here's what went on at the church at Colossae as they dealt with the frustration of the human heart that you keep looking at it and wanting it to change and it doesn't change when you keep insisting on it to change. They created religious pro tips that appeared really spiritual so that they could feel better about themselves. This is what Paul goes on later in chapter two to say. This is, this is my translation. Don't let people judge you with super spiritual rules on food and drink and observing holy days. Those were a shadow of things to come, but it was all about Jesus and he has come. So don't let people make you feel disqualified and don't make other people feel disqualified by insisting on self-denial and talking about ecstatic worship experiences. Those things just puff people up. It was always about holding fast to the head who is Jesus. And when the whole body is nourished and knit together in him, it grows with the growth that's from God. And Jesus died to the lie that life is found in insisting to yourself really hard to be better at being a Christian. 
So don't address your insecurity and your frustrations with creating super rules of self-denial, like don't touch, don't taste, don't go near those things. Those things and that kind of life will give the illusion of being really pious and really humble and really ascetic. But notice how it's all about you doing the things to make you feel better about you. And so those things are actually worthless. And those are not what Jesus calls you to. Here's what Jesus calls you to. You know what's hard? Go love your enemy. That's hard. You know what's easy? To believe you're a good Christian because you come to church a lot. Isn't that easier? Let's, just, let's stick with that standard. That's not what Jesus calls us to. You know what's hard? To forgive. Forgiving is the worst if you've ever done it. You know what's easy? To cut off toxic people. We got a lot of therapeutic language and principles to do that. You know what's really hard? to sincerely go out of your way to include the outsider, not just once, but into your circle for good as friends. You know, it's easy being nice. Can you go to a Christian school and be a total fraud? Absolutely. Can you drink a little bit less and be a fraud? Yep. Can you be charming and be a selfish person? Absolutely. One of my girls, we were having the conversation about cursing. And I asked her, I said, have we ever given you a list of words that you can't say? And it dawned on her, like, no, we never, that's not really kind of how we handle it. I said, what does your mom always told you about words? Use all of your words to build other people up in love. You know what's way easier than that? Just avoiding a list, right? What happened in Colossae is that people came along teaching really great pro tips on being really good at feeling really Christian. And don't you want to feel more Christian again? And you can tell that your new rules are not of Jesus if when you follow them, you feel superior to others and they feel disqualified by you. Can we perform some version of the good things or the right things, even really intense versions of the right things, super rules of self-discipline that go beyond the normal limits so that you can feel super committed? Can someone do all the Christian looking things on the outside and even more extreme versions of the Christian things on the outside and be a terrible person? Absolutely. We know this because some of us are this. I've been this, often this. This is why simply insisting on the rules doesn't work. Even if it appears to work, it doesn't work. And in our most honest moments, we know that the more committed-ish version of us now is not alive the same way that we were when we met Jesus the first time. Remember, that's what Paul is asking us to do here. Remember when you received Christ? When you were full of love and grace without a, a hint or desire to disqualify people or to even prove yourself. Just love and mercy were natural and joyful to you. And now you know what I know, which is the kind of person that we might've become might look more disciplined on the outside, but isn't governed by love. Because remember how you were when you were governed by love. But now we're ruled by self-righteousness and insecurity. We're not basking in Jesus anymore. We're just always thinking about how we should be better at being better. Paul closes this section. He says, this religion is gonna look really impressive on the outside with its rules about commitment and self-denial, but it's powerless to restrain the flesh. 
what happened? Remember how you received Christ. Just as you received him, so walk in him. Remember what you did? You realized all the yucky things about yourself were more than you could handle. And what did you do the first time? You took him to Jesus. You took him to the cross. What have we been doing since when all the yucky things about us show up and they're more than handle and they, we can handle and they expose themselves? What do you do with our, what have we started doing with our sins and our failures and our weakness and our inconsistency and our disappointment? We didn't look to the cross to see Jesus' commitment to us. We looked to our commitment and our willpower. We forgot how we experienced freedom the first time when we took all of our stuff to Jesus. Just as you received Christ, so walk in him. This is why he calls the Christian life being rooted and built up. Those are passive verbs. Being rooted and built up in Jesus. You went more and more to him. Your roots are looking for life and they went deeper and deeper into him. Here's what happened to us. C.S. Lewis says this about no man knows how bad he is until he tries very hard to be good. So when we started... We started to be good out of love. And as time passed, we found out that loving well is really hard. We found all these bad things in our hearts that warred with our desire to love well, what Paul called indwelling sin. And we found there were more bad things in there than we knew. And they were more powerful than we knew. And so what we did is we forgot what we're supposed to do with our bad things, what you did with your bad things the first time you met Jesus. So we tried to outwork them and now overcompensate for them and program them away and keep rules that simulated like we had conquered them, but it got worse because we kept failing. I've tried to love my children. I can't, admit, I can't believe how happy I am as a father. It's one of my supreme joys but I never thought I was an angry person until God said, here's four girls. I need you to love them with self-sacrificial love 24 hours a day, seven days a week until you die. You know what that does? That shines a spotlight into the deep recesses of your heart and shows you like, there's a ton of anger and control issues there. It was there all along. It wasn't until I started to try to love that I saw it was there. It was way worse than I thought the first time I met Jesus. Right? Church is infuriating. He's like, hey, come in. Jesus is like, hey, now that you're with me, come be with these people. Ugh, these people are so frustrating. Right? Friends, in-laws, children, coworkers. Jesus said, oh, by the way, hey, loving, coming with me means loving your enemies. There, nothing exposes how much hate and impatience and self-righteousness is in our heart than going to try to love your enemy. It's way easier not to. And what we did is we tried to set ourselves to be better this time, right? Again and again and again. Till we failed so many times, our last ditch effort is just the fake Christian us. The worst us. Paul's telling the church at Colossae, and it's just as relevant for us today. Okay, okay. Just as you received Christ, go back to that moment. That's how you walk in him. He's dealing with something similar in the church of Galatia. He says this, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you now think you're being perfected by the flesh? And what he's saying is this, you started in grace. That's why it was so sweet. That's why you actually freely and joyfully started to change. Why are you now trying to be perfected by flesh, by works? So friends, take your sin, take your bad last week, take your good plans to be the better you next week, Take your bifurcated you, your dead Christian you. Everything in you that you haven't been able to handle, that you think you can't handle, bring it to the cross again. Try to exhaust his grace. You can't. He's not surprised. He's never revisited his decision about you. Just as you received him, walk in him. Paul's saying to us, stop, stop. You're wrecking it just as you started. Bring your sin to the cross. That's how you walk, bringing your sin to the cross. The Christian life doesn't start in Jesus and then you're rooted and built up and established by willpower and insisting on clever rules. You start in Jesus, you're rooted and built up and established in Jesus and it's marked by abounding in thanksgiving. Remember when you started out in Christ, in that moment you were just thankful. The reason that we're not naturally just overflowing with thanks now is not because he's not good. It's because we stopped bringing our sin and our failure to him because we couldn't believe that he would still love even us because we're Christians and we should have had it together by now. Christians who found out that they're worse than they thought, who couldn't believe that his grace still abounds even now, but it does. The problem is not that there's not enough Jesus to get us through. The problem is we don't know how much Jesus we've been given. I'll close with a picture that every RUF campus minister has probably used at some point. There's uh, a legendary episode of Antiques Roadshow from 2004. Maybe you're familiar with this. Antiques Roadshow is this uh, show on PBS where people bring trinkets to appraisers and ask them how much it's worth. That's the whole show. This 2004 episode, this man brings his great-grandfather's Swiss watch to an appraiser. The watch was built in 1914. The appraiser kind of goes through all the details and the specificity and the uniquenesses of the watch. And he says, he then asked the man who brought it, he says, how much do you think this watch is worth? And he said, well, I took it to a pawn shop and they offered me $6,000 for this watch. And the appraiser said, actually today, you can go to this watch manufacturer and he will buy it back from you today for $250,000. Here's what's interesting about it. He ended up selling it for $2 million. When the owner learns about the value of what he has had all along, here's his first responses. These are his words. I watched the YouTube video this morning. His first word is no. Second two words, you're kidding. Next words, it can't be. I can't believe it. Are you serious? Here's the point. The watch never changed. He always had it and it never changed. He always had a million dollar watch sitting in his pocket. But his understanding of the value of the watch changed. He knew it was of some value. Now he realized it was of a unique value that's basically incomprehensible. 
His struggle was actually to believe the watch was as valuable as it really was. The watch never changed, but his understanding of the watch did, and that changed him. Jesus has not changed, friends. What you have in Jesus hasn't changed. It's not the case that you need something other than Jesus. It's the case that you need to come to him again and discover more deeply what you have in him. The reason we come to the word every week is to hear a good word from Jesus. It's the reason that we come to the table is to feast on Jesus every week. All we do in RUF, the essence of RUF, y'all, we don't have anything special we do. We got one pitch, we got one fastball that we throw right over the plate every single time, whether it's at to Christians or non-Christians on campus, private school or public school, whether it's an athlete, Greek, academic, or social, every RUF is hardwired to do one thing. We're not fancy. We just offer our students the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I had a student at Stanford who came to trust in Jesus at Stanford in, RUF in 2011. His senior year, he got up and he shared with our group, and this is what he said. He said, all my life, I wanted to get into Stanford. It's this elite academic uh, institution that opened all kinds of doors, right? And I got into Stanford and not only did I get into Stanford, he became a D1 athlete. He's a wrestler at Stanford. And I got to the top of that mountain and there was nothing there. And he came to RUF and we read the Bible together and we talked about Jesus and this is how he closed his senior testimony. It's then that I realized that if I had everything but Jesus, I had nothing. When I met him, I realized if I had nothing but Jesus, I had everything because it's all of Jesus from beginning to end. That's the essence of RUF. Let's pray. Almighty King, we thank you for this good news. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe the first time. It's hard to believe the thousandth time. It's hard to believe the 10,000th time. But the good news is that you're so good, you even give us belief when we can't find it in ourselves. Please convince us by the power of your word with your spirit by coming to the table that we are indeed free, that you have conquered sin and you have conquered death and there's no more to fear. And let us walk in that. In your name we pray, amen.